Hi guys, Victoria here. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to be sure you knew about the free online starter course we have available at the Victoria Stillwell Academy called Building Your Dog's Confidence. You can enroll for free anytime from anywhere. So whether you're looking for advice about your dog or you're wanting to test drive VSA before enrolling in one of our professional learning experiences, visit vsdogtrainingacademy.com now to get your free course. That's vsdogtrainingacademy.com. And now, on to the podcast. Hi, all you dog lovers. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a fabulous guest today. Her name is Carolyn Minty. She is a dog trainer and behaviorist, and she's also the chair of the UK Dog Behavior and Training Charter. And what might you say is that? Well, if you haven't heard about it, we're going to talk a lot about it today. And we're also going to talk about the dreaded shock collars. Oh, this is going to this. This is going to be interesting, Carolyn. Welcome to the podcast, first of all. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. All right. If you can tell people uh, about what you do and how long you've been a trainer for. This is going to make me sound very, very old in that case. Um, I've been a trainer and behaviorist since about 1997, which I think I've just worked out is about 26 years, which is I started as a very small child. Uh, But I've been a trainer and behaviorist for a really, really long time, starting off, as we all do, very embryonically, just with my own dogs and just doing bits and pieces, and then becoming more professional, realizing that I needed to find out more, discover more, and learn more uh, from the dogs that we share our lives with. So I've been doing it for an awfully long time. And I mostly do it, I mostly work with companion dogs. And it's really funny because I go into places like the Kennel Club and things like that, and they kind of say, so what do you do, dear? And I say, well, you know, I train I train, I train, train dogs. Yes, I know, but what sports, dear? What are your sports? It's like, well, I train companion dogs. Oh, you just work with pet dogs then, do you? And I kind of just want to slap them because I do still genuinely believe that being a companion dog is the very, very hardest job we ever ask a dog to do. Because most of the time we want them to not behave like a dog, to fit into our families and do all those things. And so I, I very much champion the fact that what I do is I work with companion dogs and I help people get the best relationship they can with the dogs that share their lives and their homes and their families. And so that's probably what I've been doing for about the last 20, too many years, uh, and still love doing it. Although now I also work with companies who want to portray dogs well and ethically and properly in the media and in social media and in various places like that. Because I think now companies are getting on board with the fact that the world's changed completely in how we live with dogs, how we have dogs in our family. And with that comes responsibility that comes from all the studies and the knowledge that we now have now about the rich emotional lives of dogs. And so I work with some of these companies as well. So I I get the best of all worlds. You are also the chair of the UK Dog Behaviour and Training Charter for for those, because we have listeners from all over the world here. So um, in the United Kingdom, we have what we call the UK Dog Behaviour and Training Charter. And uh, it was really sort of set up, it was was the idea of Andrew Hale 
long time ago who sort of well we need to have more of kind of a cohesive approach to training and it's very difficult like how do you know that the trainer you're getting is the right kind of trainer for your dog and that they are they have good ethics and they have a good humane philosophy and they know what they're doing and and so right now it's like well before the charter was um came into effect it really sort of like uh anybody could set up as a train. I mean, they still can. There's no, no regulation. But um, this is an attempt to have self-regulation. So at its heart, the UK Dog Behavior and Training Charter is a code of conduct, ethics, and methodologies, and, and methodology, sorry. And its signatories are comprised of many of the UK's leading behavior and training, behavior and training organizations who've come together under the charter's umbrella to work in unison for the benefit of dogs, dog owners, and the wider profession. And VSA and VSPDT are very proud to be founding members of the charter. And Carolyn, you have come in, you've sort of taken over from Andrew Hale and become chair of this organization, which which you are an amazing chair because you have that wonderful ability to continue to have all of these sometimes competing actually a lot of us competing for business and competing schools and but you you've brought them all together it works and it continues to work because we have a common goal and a common aim speak to to the viewers and the listeners from other countries as well who would like to do the same thing over there how does it work I mean, you're right. This was the brainchild of Andrew Hale, who actually believed that he could get everybody in the one room and get them to agree to agree on methodology and ethics. And that's what the charter is all about. So first of all, we've brought together all these organizations who use positive methodology. And that's absolutely at the heart of and the core of the charter and i think that is why it has all held together this has never happened before in the uk we've tried to bring organizations together and tried to get them to work together but there was no core and no heart that was holding them together and so it would just end up like a little bit of a well it would end up like a bit of a dog fight if you want to use a, a, a analogy but I mean, there's a great saying that if you get three trainers or behaviorists in one room, the only thing two will agree on is the third's doing it wrong. And we were trying to kind of work with that. And so the thing that we all agreed on was positive methodology. It was about not using equipment or methods that cause pain, fear, shock. And we could all come together with that. And I think that's what holds us all. We've got eight founding member organizations, professional organizations, who all then represent thousands of members around the UK, who are saying that this is the best way to work with dogs. We know this is the best way to work with dogs. And we're united in that common goal. But then there's a little bit more to it in that the public have to know that they can trust the professional that they choose to go to. So the ethical side is very, very important. So we make sure there's a complaints procedure within each organization and we make sure that that's robust. And then we have external oversight within the charter as well. So if anybody 
has a complaint and they think that hasn't been dealt with properly by the organization, they can come to the Charters Oversight Committee, who are all great professionals. They've got nothing to do with the dog world. They're all very, very well known in their own rights and in their own professions who love dogs but aren't involved in the dog world, who will sit and say, okay, let's have a look at this complaint. Let's see where it fails codes of ethics or where it could have let the public down. So we methodology and accountability i think is other keywords of the charter and you're right it's a fantastic organization made so by those eight founder members who believe in the charter and despite the fact that a lot of people are competing for business and for the same clients mind you we have 12 and a half million dogs in the uk so there's lots of people out there needing help but the group is fantastic and it's bound together by people who want to improve the profession. You said it earlier, we don't have regulation in the UK, so anybody can set them up as a trainer or a behaviorist. But we know there's been dreadful headlines in the UK over the last few months about dog attacks. Uh, we know that DEFRA is looking at ways of improving, reducing attacks, improving the profession, how the best way to do that is. And we know they're going to make representation to government after the summer break. And one of the things they're going to say is that they are going to recommend regulation of the profession. So what the chart is doing is saying, well, pretty much we can self-regulate for you. We will make sure that people are using the most up-to-date methodology with the complete accountability that government are going to need. And so we can take this forward. And that's what the charter is trying to do. Um, and we're, we're not so doing people it. People can go. People can go to... Sorry, sorry, we do have a little bit of a, d a delay here. People can go to the charter if they want to find a trainer and uh, they don't know where to go. They can go to dogcharter.uk and they can, um, you know, click on any of the organizations there and they can find the trainers, uh, the, the perfect trainer for them. And I just want to say that the founding members are uh, obviously VSA and VSPDT. Then there's the Pet Professional Guild, the Association of Interdogs. IMDT, International Canine Behaviorists, ICB, CAPBT, APDT UK, and Animal, Animal Centered Education. I mean, these are the titans. I, I look at this and I go, wow, these organizations, these are the titans in this industry. And we are all working together. How did Andrew manage that? Because you're right. It was that common goal. We mm. wanted to be able to put something together where it's self-regulation because, of course, it's very tricky. And it's even going to be very tricky if the government bring in regulation of like, well, what what do you allow? And that is going to bring us to another conversation in a minute, Carolyn. You know where we're going with this. But it, it, it's really difficult. So if that ever happens in the future, I think it's going to be very complicated and complex. So our, our method of self-regulation where we're not just holding our members accountable, we're holding ourselves accountable. And we also have this body outside that is holding all of us accountable. So, I mean, it, it seems to be that we've kind of really hit on something that works. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th I think we really have. And you're right. This is the titans of the industry. These are the people that I would have no hesitation in recommending anybody to go to because I know how they work. I know their methodologies. Everybody works in slightly different ways. There's eight different organizations and they all have different ways of running their organization, what they do, how they do it. But they've all got that core belief. I had to laugh when you said um, you don't know how Andrew did it. I remember the very, very first meeting of the proposed charter group, and it was held in a very, very dodgy motorway cafe on the side of a motorway where we all kind of sneaked into the car park and wandered into this cafe almost with our hoods up because we didn't want to be seen by anyone else because you wouldn't associate with another organization that's the enemy um but very very quickly we started to work out that 99 percent of what we were doing we completely and utterly agreed with and i think it's it's the core it's that absolute core and what's really good is that because these are the titans of industry it's allowed me as the chair to go to defra to go to government to say look we have this umbrella organization of all these thousands of professionals and so we are now talking to DEFRA so when DEFRA are advising government we're right there we're talking to them we're talking about our members we're giving them advice and help so we're very much in that room we're not sitting outside just saying well government should do something we're actually talking and have the ear of government which is fabulous for people who don't know who DEFRA are, can you explain? Oh, now I'm going to have to remember what it stands for. The, de uh, the Department of the Environment and Food. Environment. Oh, God. Regulation yeah. something, something. Yeah, that's the one. But yeah, it, I'm it, going to actually... Please yes. look, look it up. Oh, no, it's no, completely... seriously, I'm looking. No, because, no, no, here we go. Department oh. for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. No, don't, because I'm the same. I, I, I... I don't I ever remember the list. Me neither. It's just I talk to DEFRA uh, because they're the people who are responsible for for dog training, effectively. Um, they're, they're everything to do with kind of the countryside, with rural affairs, with the environment, and we come underneath that. So yeah, so that's so that's that's DEFRA, um, and it's it's the Secretary of State sits above that. So yeah, that's that's who we're talking to. That's who government have said, can you go and put a working party together and find out what we should be doing? Find out what we should be doing with regard to dog training and behavior and with education with regards to dog training and behavior. And they've formed a working party in conjunction with Middlesex University, who I think have now been consulting for over three years, I think. And so what they now present to government after the summer recess is going to be their findings of the last three years. I'm an alumni of alumnus of Middlesex University, so I'm very pleased to hear that. Um, okay. Which sort of brings me off. Now, I've had a meeting with DEFRA. I've been to their headquarters HQ in London and did I speak to was it Lord Gardner somebody I've forgotten actually anyway but he was there and um there was a whole lot of people at the table and we were discussing shock collars mm -hmm. and it was way before COVID probably I'd say five six years ago I was there and we were talking about shock collars should they be banned in the UK. And of course, <laughs> I was giving my evidence as to why I believed they should 
but that was six years ago. <laughs> and since then, wow, we have, the government, have committed to a ban on the use of shock collars, both, I believe, in dogs and cats, in starting in February 2024. Amazing, incredible, wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you to everybody who worked so hard to advocate for, for dogs and cats. However, now there's a problem. The problem is, will the government honor the commitment they made? Because there's now talk that this commitment might not be honored. Because now it seems like the industry and the dog, sh the shock collar trainers and advocates are rising up and singing in very loud voices. Because if this ban goes into effect in February, they will lose a lot of money. This is a multi-million pound industry. They make a lot of money. And this is could potentially be, for some trainers that rely on shot collars 100%, this will be a game changer for them. They will either have to stop practicing altogether or change the way they do things. So you can understand why people are worried about their very livelihoods. But in my opinion, and I'm saying in my opinion, there doesn't need to be a place for shot collars in training. In fact, I always think like, like well, before these awful contraptions were, were invented, how did you train dogs? There must have been a way that you did recall before shot collars were invented. And I, I guess there must have been a way that you could stop lunging at the end of a, of a lead or, or stop a dog aggressing before there were shot collars. And indeed, there are many amazing ways that you can teach dogs or change behavior without the use of shot collars. So why are people still using them? And why are they advocating them? And why are they saying that animals are going to die because they're going to run after sheep and get killed by farmers if shot collars are banned, which I know is one of, I think, one of the sort of the main arguments they're making. All right. I I've said a lot, Carolyn. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> You're right. I mean, we celebrated in April when the statutory instrument came out to say that shot collars were going to be banned because this is a fight I've been having it. I, I kind of worked out that the first debate against shot collars I did to the Association of Dogs and Cats Homes was 19 and a half years ago. So this has been going on for me since then, and I wasn't one of the first people into that. And I've gone round all the different parliaments. I've shocked MPs in parliaments and party conferences. Everyone's really shocked when I say that. Everybody says, so you actually shocked MPs and I say yeah I did because the reason is that MPs would normally have the starting position of saying well it can't hurt that much if you put it around a dog's neck I mean obviously it can't hurt that much can it and so I would happily put it on the, the their hand on the sort of ball of their thumb and let them feel it and that nearly always changed their opinion because they suddenly said actually you know what that actually really really hurts um and we were lucky in Wales, we got a ban in 2010. So Wales were very, very progressive. They were the first people to ban. 
Scotland then got a bit wishy-washy about it and changed the law to say that if you put a shock collar on a dog and then used it in a way that might cause pain and fear, then you might be breaking the law, which is really, really woolly. Um, and then in April, we were really lucky that um, the minister came out and there was a statutory instrument, which was absolutely fine. And DEFRA, who I now know what it stands for, um, were very happy to say we we are content that these cause harm. Um, and they do. There's no doubt. I was reading somebody's statement the other day that was saying we need to ban shock collars because shock collars don't work. And that's actually completely rubbish. They do work. They do if work. you say they don't work, that kind of makes them sound a bit benign. Um, they do work. If you put something around a dog's neck and cause them pain and so fear, it certainly changes behavior. There's no doubt it changes behavior. But you've got no idea what it's going to change that behavior to. And you're introducing fear into that dog's life for reasons that they've got no idea of. If you pick up an electric shock collar box, which sadly I've done several times over the years when I've been, while I've been trying to get them banned, the very, very first thing it says on the top of the instructions is warning, do not use this in the case of an aggressive dog. And the reason they say that is because redirected aggression when you use a shock collar is a really, really likely thing to do. I mean, can you imagine it? If you're one of these people that has a little bit of a fiery temp temper and suddenly somebody hurts you with no warning that really, really hurts, you're going to turn around and fly at them. In fact, even if you don't have a particularly bad temper, I would argue you're going to turn around and fly at them. Um, so that's the first thing. So first of all, you're saying, well, we can't use it in an, an aggressive dog. So if we're talking about these are things for like last ditch um, behavior problems, there's one we've ruled out, ruled out. The police have actually come out recently and said that they can see no reason why shock collars are going to reduce uh, chasing of sheep and chasing of livestock because nearly 80% of those dogs are escapees. Um, they're not dogs who are with their owners. They've escaped from a house. And so a shock collar is going to have absolutely no effect on them whatsoever. Uh, it's just irresponsible ownership. So you're going to cause a dog pain and fear because you're not a responsible owner. So that kind of pretty much rules out all the last ditch reasons. But more to the point, we know better. We know that we can train dogs using by setting up environments where they succeed, rewarding them when they get it right, giving them alternative behaviors. Um, we know we can train dogs without shock collars. We have all that knowledge. We have that learning. We now have so many studies and bits of research that tell us how emotional our, our, our dogs are, the emotional lives of our dogs. We've got far, far better ways to train. Maybe you could have adjust, um, justified it I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, when we used to think that you had to punish dogs when they did things wrong, and that was the way you had to train them. But we abolished corporal punishment in, in state schools in 1987 in this country, and that's for a very good reason, because we know that corporal punishment does not improve behaviour and it doesn't facilitate learning. So I don't see... You know what, I remember... Sorry, Carolyn, I, I, I remember when you talk about corporal punishment, I remember at nursery school that I went to in Wimbledon. I remember during lunchtime, a little boy was pulled up to the top table and was told to bend over and had a ruler, smack, you know, was smacked with a ruler, caned almost. 
um, well, he was, in front of the entire nursery school. That boy obviously cried, and we were all sitting there in shock. And I remember going home, and the next day, I pretended even at that very young age, I think I must have been four, I pretended to be ill so I didn't have to go to school because I didn't want to go to nursery school because I was scared of that person. She is, she's no longer on this planet, which is no bad thing actually, because she was vile to children. And, but I remember watching that and even at that young age going, this is wrong. And then not wanting to go back because I was so terrified. So we know with corporal punishment and the lasting damaging traumatic effects it can have on children, but the similar things, similar things to dogs. We trainers regularly, and especially here where I live in the south, southern part of the United States where shot collar trainers are rampant, we regularly pick up the pieces for the animals that they have damaged. And so much so that, you know, many of the trainers have had lawsuits against them here. And it's just devastating. It is devastating. We have to take a quick break. I want to continue this discussion after the break. So hang tight and we will be back. A quick break here to get a word from this episode's sponsor, the Victoria Stillwell Academy. Now, did you know that I have a school that teaches people to be dog trainers? I love It's Me or the Dog and my work as a dog trainer on television, but Those of you who know me know that my true passion really lies with helping other people live their best lives with the dogs. And I love seeing that truly magical transformation when that light bulb goes off with someone I'm helping with their dog. That's what it's all about. It's the secret sauce that pet professionals like me, who work with these amazing animals, that's what we all share. It's what makes being a dog trainer the most rewarding, enriching job I can imagine. It's why I love what I do. And it's also why I founded the Victoria Stillwell Academy, so that I could provide a roadmap to others who want to help dogs and the people who love them learn to do what they love doing at the highest level, that is to become professional dog trainers. Earning a living working with dogs professionally has been a dream of mine for years. And that passion is what drives all of us at VSA to create courses that are specially designed to help adult human learners chase their dreams. Now, most people already know about our flagship dog trainer course, which provides both online only and in-person options. But did you know that we also offer both dog guardians and future professionals a fully refundable 10-hour online course taught by me another awesome VSA faculty, and it's called the Fundamentals of Dog Training and Behavior course. Now, I know it's not the sexiest name, but it's one of the most dynamic learning experiences available to dog geeks, and it's a pretty awesome first step to see if learning with VSA is right for you. Now, as a Positively Podcast listener, you can use promo code PODCAST right now to get the Fundamentals course for 50% off. That is a hundred and fifty dollar value so take our course plus we also have a couple of free starter courses they're free completely free 
including a course called Building Your Dog's Confidence, which reveals the secret ingredient to a happy dog life. So I encourage you to check out VSA today. As I said, we have courses for all levels of learners. So it doesn't matter whether you're a newbie with your first puppy or a, or a grizzled vet already making a living as a pet professional. Visit Positively.com VSA to learn more and enroll in a free course. That is Positively.com VSA. We all want the best for our dogs. Whether that means you taking home some key tips for your own dogs or adding the ultimate in professional dog trainer education, visit Positively.com VSA today. VSA, it is the future of dog training. And now to the podcast. I'm back with Carolyn Menteith. We are talking about shock collars and uh, wow, this is a conversation that is going to go on for a, maybe a long time, but I think it's really important that people listen because what you are saying, Carolyn, makes such perfect sense and as we were just talking about um whilst the break was happening that I was four years old when that person that little boy was hit and I still remember it and so and that has always of all that that traumatized me to the point where I didn't want to go back to school now I think it's really important Carolyn that that you know when we are telling people what not to do for example don't use shock collars, that we educate ourselves about shock collars. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that you have, you know, felt what they feel like on you. You have used it on ministers, which I, I love. <laughs> I, I too have shown with my students, you know, at VSA, that you, we have to learn about what these things are. They do work. They do work <laughs> by doing what they are intended to do, which is to cause discomfort and shock and pain. That's why they work. Uh, they are devices that are very, very difficult. If you were going to say, because a lot of trainers say, but yes, but if used correctly, no, if used correctly, they are designed to cause discomfort and pain. So, so students voluntarily, I never make them voluntarily, will put these things on their hand. And then some, some will go up to 10. I've gone up to, to 10 or oh, the dial now goes sometimes dials go further than 10. Um, and I've felt it on myself and it's absolutely, I mean, it, it's, it's such a shock. It's so uncomfortable. It is so painful that it is, you know, you, it's almost like if you ever had a, a, an electric shock, that's that's exactly what it feels like. So I wanted to educate myself more about them, not just feel it on myself, but but educate myself. So I when I, when I was filming in Los Angeles, I spent my days off with sport dog people that use shock collars on very high powered sport animals. I remember especially this um what was it? It was a French Doberman. I forgot, a, a Beauceron, Beauceron. And big, big, powerful dog. In fact, I got up into a bite suit in, and I had that dog dog bite me. The most power I've ever felt. So, uh, but this dog doing other sporting things was, was wearing a shock collar. In fact, they had a shock collar on the tail as well. <laughs> so, um, and they showed me how they used it. And I was... Utterly, by the end of that day, I was just 
utterly broken because hearing the yelping, hearing the just that this dog was a robot and they would they were driving this dog and driving this dog and this dog was exhausted yet the it was awful and they were supposed to be they were one of the top sport dog trainers in the United States so that's number 1 number 2 i wanted to see what in companion dogs so there's a company here that works in Atlanta that works with companion dogs who who transferred from positive to shock and we used to work with them when they were positive but they transferred to shock and so I was like, why are you doing that? We're like, well, come down and see. And so they were working on this concept that you you hold down the remote control. You have a dog on a platform and you hold down the remote control. And you, as you do it, you, you like sit, 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 sit. And when the dog sits, you release the shock. We all know what that is, don't we, right? You release the shock. So that's negative reinforcement, right? That's, you might not be adding the, but you're teaching dogs how to do things using negative reinforcement, even it's, and this dog was wing, was uh, whining and restless, sitting on this platform. Well, that just turned me right off. I was like, absolutely not. And then, of course, I filmed Guardians of the Night and were with the police for five years, working with various different departments and seeing how they worked their dogs on shock collars. Now, my guys did not use shock collars, but we worked with others, trained with others that did. And to the point where my guys would say, you cannot come to training. And these are Georgia cops. These are good old Southern Georgia cops, right? Until my guys were like telling these others, you cannot come to training if you're going to have that dog wear the shock collar, because these dogs were off the charts, crazed by these collars and these guys, and, and, and it was such abuse. So I have educated myself, Carolyn, and put myself in these positions where in the sporting dog world, in the companion dog world, and in the police dog world, I have used, I have seen these collars being used. I don't need... And, but thankfully, there are, there is research out there that shows the effects of these collars. But I don't need research to 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 tell me what I was seeing. And you could listen to the person talk about how amazing these shot collars were, how obedient the dogs were, how they did everything, how they were saving the dogs' lives, yada yada. But they weren't looking at the dog. And so I would just tune them out and look at the dog and it was devastating what I saw. I think one of the things is one of the reasons that people use them. I think one of the really compelling things about them is they give an instant result because, of course, they do. You're, cause, you're instantly causing pain. So you do get an instant change in behavior. And while that might be positively punishing for the dog, if you train in that way, it's positively reinforcing for the handler, because they see an instant result, they're rewarded for using that shock collar, because they then get rewarded because their dog has done something. It might be, you know, in the companion dog world, it might be that they haven't jumped up, or they sat when I asked them to after I zap them for 15 seconds uh, but they'd get an immediate result and I think if you're the sort of person who needs that rather than 
we have dogs, we have companion dogs for sure, to build a relationship, to build a bond. And if you would rather get an immediate robotic fix rather than working on that bond, working on that relationship, working as a partnership, then I can see why it becomes almost addictive for people and why people say, well, I can't work without using a shop color because they're so wedded to that, I can get an instant response. Um, and that's what shock collar does. I mean, you do change your behavior instantly, as, as you've seen when you've been out there educating yourself. And it's a really thin end of the wedge. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. You can get marketed as being humane. You can get cage-free crates, which is actually a mat on the ground, which will shock your dog if it leaves the mat. Um, or you can get shock agility equipment, whereas if the dog gets shocked, if they don't touch contact points or if they do touch poles. And as you know, none of those dogs look happy. There is always fallout to training like that. And I guess if you're training a high powered working dog like your Beauceron, who is allowed to go in and bite and who can be that really, really aggressive, what would be dangerous in any other hands type of a dog, then maybe you can, in inverted commas, afford that fallout. But at what cost? Um, at the cost of the dog's welfare, at the cost of redirected aggression, at the cost of all these problems that you can have. And also, people are really bad at reading dog behavior. What people quite often think of as being a well-behaved dog is a dog who's gone into learned helplessness and depression because they are almost too scared to move because they don't know what's going to shock them next. And we know better. That's that's the whole thing that completely I, I could I can see why we had these conversations in the 70s. I don't see why we're still having these conversations now, which is why I'm thrilled that the government has said that as from February 2024, we will have a ban in the UK if they do it. And that's the problem. If they that's do the it. problem. If the, voices out, the voices out there against are loud because it affects their business and it affects, it also affects, it also taps into what they believe about themselves because an awful lot of these people who use these kind of equipment and who use aversive methods, if you ask them and talk to them, they will say that they're working for the welfare of dogs. They're working to make lives better for dogs. And for them to admit that shock collars are abusive is to admit that what they have been doing for the past however many years is abusive. And that's a really, really difficult thing for people to, to kind of come to terms with. So I think there's also that almost self-protectionism from some people that kind of say, you know, I, I just, you know, I can't admit that what I've been doing for the last 30 years has been abusing dogs. So I'm going to say it doesn't hurt really much and it's really humane if you do it properly. Um, that I can see why there are arguments against. Um, I don't understand them and it's not the side that I could ever come from. And I, like you, have watched shot collar training. Um, I think probably the worst one I watched was with gun dogs and a handler said to me, well, how can I tell where my dog is if they're not wearing a shot collar? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if I turn it right up to the very highest level and push it, it'll jump in there and I'll know where he is. Um, and that wasn't that wasn't joking. That was actually I can locate my dog by doing this. Um, mm. So yeah, um, 
let's hope it, it, it shows a Yes, it, it shows a complete lack of dog behavior. Now, whenever I put it on my Facebook or, or anything or, you know, and, and ask people to contact their minister and to contact their MP to to say, you know, please, 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 mm. this this shock collar ban needs to go into effect. Um, then then I have uh, I have some of the shock collar lobby lobbyists and the the, <laughs> the their supporters coming on my Facebook page and saying, Victoria, you don't know anything about dog behavior if you did you wouldn't be saying this and i'm like i don't know who these people are mm -hmm. but if you knew anything about dog behavior you would be singing from the rooftops to get these things banned too if you had an ounce of knowledge of dog behavior you would be singing from the rooftops it, it, it's it is ignorance it is uh and you know Sometimes, I mean, I, I, I can't say anything to these people because, because what do you say to that? It's just, it's just idiotic. You can't. So you just got to carry on and do what you do. What, you know, again, through my experience and still seeing people today walking their dogs and they have the remote control in their hands and it's large and small dogs. It's not just large dogs. And those dogs kind of eye another dog as they're walking closely past it. But then the person is there with the remote control and I'm sure does the vibrate, which is that that little signal or the little tone that's the signal that shock is going to come. And then the dog sort of averts their eyes. Right? So persons looking very, very pleased with themselves that they can walk their dog close to another dog without their dog reacting feels much safer, I'm sure, and much less embarrassed because they don't have a dog that's going crazy at the end of the lead. But you look at that dog and you go, that dog is so uncomfortable, right? Oh. You take that shock collar off and walk that dog down the street again with all these other dogs walking past. They don't hear the, the feel the vibration. They don't hear the tone. There is not that sort of just, that sort of Damocles hanging over them. I'll punch you if this happens, or I'll knife you if this happens. They don't. They would go ballistic. And so I see it as suppressed behavior, because that's what it is. It's not changed behavior. Suppressed behavior is exactly what it is. Suppressed behavior. Now, I would rather have to work a bit harder than my quick fix, I'd actually rather work a bit harder and encourage those dogs or help those dogs be less fearful or be less frustrated and agitated, feel better about the situation, less insecure with the methods that I, we all use. I'd rather do that than have that threat and have to rely on a piece of equipment. The batteries will run out at some point. It is going to malfunction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there will always be fallout. It'll come sometime. It'll just maybe be, it might just be a day when the dogs may be feeling a little bit more off color and that's just, that's just enough to push them over the edge. Or it might just be that, you're not there or the color's not on and 
whatever, there will be fallout from that. Uh, you haven't changed that behavior. As you've just said, all you've done is express it, uh, suppress it. The emotion is still there, and that emotion will come out somewhere. There is always fallout. A number of times I've heard people saying um, things like, well, I had a real problem with my dog and I went to this trainer and they put a shock collar on him and it was absolutely fantastic. And for about a year, he was just absolutely amazing. And then one day, all of a sudden, it just got way, way, way worse and we had to have him put to sleep. And it's just because you haven't dealt with that behavior. You haven't changed the behavior. There's been no behavior modification program going on there. All you've done is just don't you dare, otherwise I'm pressing this collar. Um, you've actually created a ticking time bomb. And that time bomb will go off at some point. Now you just don't know when and you don't know where. If the UK government are really concerned about, you know, people, let's forget the animals, let's forget the dogs and the cats, right? Because they can't really, you know, they don't, can't talk to us in our language. They're talking to us all the time. It's just most people don't listen. But let's just, let's forget them. What about, do they care? Do the UK government, DEFRA, do they care about people's safety? I think they do because, you know, what happens when somebody is attacked by dogs? What's happened? You know, they do care about safety. Well, if you care about safety, then you better ban these shock collars. Why? Is because redirected aggression, like you said, suppressing behavior to the extent where at one, at some point, the dog is going to go over that threshold. At some point, whether it be the week after you use it, the month, a year after you use it, something's going to happen. And you know what? It's going to be worse because you haven't addressed the underlying problem. So if we're really talking about public health and safety, then, and that's all we care about is people, then you better ban these shot collars because what you are doing is creating dogs that are emotionally unstable. They are unable to cope out in the world because they haven't been taught. They haven't been given the skills. They have literally just been suppressed. And they are, as you said, a ticking time bomb. So, Go ahead. Don't do the ban. And then we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But I do feel like the government has a responsibility for public health and safety, but also for these animals that are sentient beings. You've mentioned these decades of research now that shows, proves unequivocally that dogs have emotions. We have Dr. Gregory Burns, a pioneer doing functional MRIs here at Emory University on dogs that are awake, teaching dogs in a positive way to go into an MRI machine and lie still for a couple of minutes whilst their brain is being looked into, right? We know that that caudate nucleus, when they see a piece of food or somebody that they love, lights up just like it does in the human brain. That's their reward center. They're excited. They feel joy. They feel pleasure. We know that. We can see it in the human brain and we see it in the dog's brain. We now know we have evidence that dogs can feel joy. And, and that, that that's just one tiny piece of what we know. 
and how much responsibility does that then give us as as dog guardians and as dog professionals? I mean, that ups our responsibility just so much to dogs and, and to their people. I mean, I've got a quote that I always have up, and it's everybody has it up now because everybody knows it, which is Mayor Angelou saying, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. And we really now do know better. We know way better than to be using aversive pieces of equipment and methodology and suppressing behavior because we do know that our dogs feel joy and love when they see us we know that behaviors behaviors don't just happen out of a void they come from a way a dog's thinking and the dog's feeling it comes from that emotion and unless we can change that emotion we can't change the behavior or we can't change the desire to do that behavior we can suppress it as we've just said but we don't change the emotion and that desire to do that behavior and um, it's when we change the emotion and that's the exciting bit of doing what we do we get to do that we get to work with with, with emotions and feelings in a way that is almost miraculous if you watch it from the outside you you take it you take a behavior problem that's a real issue for people in their families and with their dogs and you transform it and you don't just transform the behavior you transform the relationship and that's probably one of the most exciting things that we do and we get the chance to do that because of all those studies and all that research to put an electric shock collar on a dog and just i i do better. We know better. And that's that's why I'm so thrilled that Lord uh, Banyan, the um, DEFRA minister, has put forward this ban. The problem is the government right now aren't going through with it. There should have been a debate in the House of Commons, which should just have been a tick box exercise because the legislation has been drafted and it's been drafted to say it's going to come into power in February 2024. So it should have gone to the Commons. The Commons should pretty much have just had a quick debate because all the work's been done all the working parties have been done the consultations have been done everyone's quite happy about the fact that these shock collars are abusive that's why we've drawn up the statutory instrument um so it should just have gone a tick box exercise through the house of commons and that was scheduled for june and then it was cancelled and it was cancelled we don't know why it was cancelled and there hasn't been a repeat date for it so while in theory we still have a ban coming into place in February 2024. Unless that debate happens in Parliament in the House of Commons, it's already gone through the Lords, strangely the opposite way around because the Lords didn't cancel their debate. Um, if that doesn't come to the House of Commons debate in September, we're going to miss that cutoff date because there needs to be six months between debate and legislation being enacted. So that's our big fear at the moment. The fear isn't that the government's going to U-turn and say, we're not going to do this. The fear is that they're just going to let the time tick out on this and we will lose the ban. And I think possibly a lot of it is because our government, politics is an interesting place in the UK at the moment. It's a little bit um, volatile, shall I say, and there is going to be a general election next year. And so I think government at the moment are doing whatever the loudest voices are shouting to get the votes that they think is going to give them the most support in the next general election. And I think it's probably been a case that the pro-shock collar people have shouted loudly and they've shouted loudly enough that government's got cold feet. Um, and so well, well, that's why that is why what can people do that that is why we need people to speak out and shout louder well, so people, how do they do that carolyn 
The MPs are on summer recess, so the person to address this to is to the minister himself, who is the Right Honourable Lord Benyon, and I'll give you his contact details in a second. And first of all, First of all, we should be congratulating him for doing this in the first place, for all the work he's done on animal welfare to the fact that we have got this far, which is fantastic. We haven't got this far before and we've been campaigning for upwards of 20 years. So first of all, is saying fantastic that we've got this far. However, we really have concerns that the debate's been cancelled and that this is going to run out of time and we're not going to get that ban that we need. So to email him, um, and his email address is, it's, this is all lowercase, and it is ps. Dot, stands for Parliamentary Secretary, so ps.lord.benyon, which is B-E-N-Y-O-N, at defra.gov.uk. And um, you title that, dear Lord Benyon. And just say... Thank you for what you've done. This is my feelings on it with my experience of however long as a dog professional or however long as a dog guardian and owner and caregiver. And this is what I think about it. And this is why I really hope you honour your commitment to banning shot collars in February 2024. And anybody can write to the minister. What's really interesting is I said earlier on that because the Charter's now got quite a big voice, I talked to DEFRA about what's going on and potential regulation. And one of the things that one of the people there, not the minister, but one of the people there said, oh, by the way, can we just say that the minister was so thrilled to get a letter from the Charter Group saying thank you for the work that you've been doing because he doesn't get very many letters saying thank you. But what that did say to me was that he is actually reading our letters. He does actually care about this issue, about animal welfare. Um, and he has said during this kind of campaign that he believes that shot collars do do harm and he wants to see them banned. So giving that support and giving a reason for that support is the best thing we can do. And we don't need to write much. In fact, it's better we don't write much because he's not going to have that much time to read that much. Just an email to him saying, thank you for what you've done, but please honour this commitment to get this made legislation in February 2024. And it doesn't matter where you are or who you are. I've seen some fantastic letters coming in from countries all around the world saying, we're looking to you as a, as a light to see what you're doing. The rest of the world is watching. And then obviously people within the UK who are saying, we really, really want this ban. Wales have done it in 2010 against all appeals and all challenges. Uh, Wales is leading the way, which is fantastic. If you're Welsh, I'm Scottish and we're not, but never mind. <laughs> England needs to follow and Scotland needs to follow after that and okay. then and then America. But I have to tell you in America what has happened is that the largest, well, there are two large almost competing pet shops or pet stores as we call them here, one called Petco and one called PetSmart. And Petco has thousands of locations around the United States, massive company. They, uh, in consultation with me, because I've done a lot of work with Petco and Petco Love, which is their foundation arm, uh, they stopped selling shot collars for training in their stores. Now, unfortunately, they still sell invisible fences, which is, that's the next thing. But one of the major retailers stopped 
stop selling shock collars because of what they've done now or, or what they do to dogs. That That's huge. We're talking about a, a, um, a million, million dollar industry, a billion dollar industry. I think for them, I think when they banned it, it was around what, 60 million, probably even more a year in sales that they were giving up by banning shock collars. That's, um, that's and, and not selling them, sorry, not banning, but not selling them in their stores. Isn't that amazing? He, even here in America. That's just, that's just extraordinary. That is so fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, I mean, I, this is very much on a much, much smaller scale, but the Kennel Club in the UK has been such a big, big supporter on, on getting the ban because they've got a, they've, people think of them as just being crafts, but they've got a big parliamentary lobbying section who lobbies for the welfare of dogs. And they've been lobbying very, very hard for as long as I've been fighting on this and do just incredible work and they've had so, so many threats but at crufts they've had a ban on electric shock collars for, for trade stands at crufts and that's a quarter of a million people come from all around the world and expect to be able to buy things doggy and they come and there's an absolute ban on shock collars so th there are good businesses out there there's you know ethical businesses out there but the fact that you've had that effect is just amazing because that's just such a such a huge retailer and it just shows best practice as well anyone who goes in there and says i want an electric shock collar will be told well we don't do them because they're not ethical because they're yeah, welfare exactly and so and away, so that educates yeah, that educates yeah. people doesn't it i mean it just it it does and 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 I also have to give a shout out to the RSPCA. I'm an ambassador for the RSPCA. They have lobbied against shock collars for a long time. Um, and I'm very proud to support that. So look, there's all of these, these organizations, you know, they are singing with one voice and it, we're, we're putting the welfare of dogs and people above profits. And that's what it boils down to, as well as, yes, I can understand, you know, the effect that it's going to have on people's businesses. But you know what? Evolve or become extinct. Absolutely. Evolve or become extinct. And I'm hoping that what we're hearing now is the dying roars of soon to be extinct dinosaurs. And I really hope that's what we're hearing. If you can't, if you don't have the time to write to the minister, by the way, just get on Twitter. We can't call it Twitter anymore. We have to call it X now, don't we? Um, just get on, on X and just send a, when you send, a, send to DEFRA, a, when are you going to ban shock collars? And it's hashtag ban shock collars, capital B, capital S, capital C. Um, and just do that if you don't do anything else. And let's hope the dinosaurs become extinct in February 2024. Carolyn, you are a leading light in this industry. You have done so much for dogs and their people in the UK and conversely around the world. And you are a perfect person to be the, the chair of the UK Dog Behavior and Training Charter. Guys, if you want to take a look at the charter website, you go to www.dogcharter.com uk not co.uk just dogcharter.uk and you can find out who those founding members are you can find out more information about the charter and if you want to find a trainer or a behaviorist you can click on any of the icons there to find one in your area you know that the the person that uh, is sort of comes in that you work with is represented um, by a, a particular organization or they have to follow 
the, uh, I call it the kind of the laws, but the regulations of that particular organization. And um, just, just, we put a very, very high, what's the word, high price on being ethically correct, morally correct, and, and kind and humane when we're training. And I think this is the important thing for, for, for listeners and viewers who, who know me, who know my work, you know, you, you, you've heard me say this a hundred times, but for, for new people that are new to the podcast, this is really, really important what we're talking about now. And it's not just shock collars. It's the actual way, the methods that people use to train dogs. We, we do have to move into the 21st century and we do have to put the dog's welfare first and foremost in anything that we do. So that's why we are self-regulating. That's why I truly believe in regulation. That's why here in the United States, I truly believe we need regulation as well. And we need to follow what the UK dog charter has done. So Carolyn, thank you so much for everything. You've been an amazing guest. And if people want to find out more about you, where do they go? Uh, my website is dogtalk.co.uk and they can find out about me there or just Google me and I've, I've written an awful lot of articles and things. So if you just Google Carolyn Menteith, you'll find lots and lots of things I've written, lots of videos, lots of stuff that um, you can find out more about me. But thank you so much for having me, both because it's so fantastic to talk to you. I mean, you are the, the kindred spirit of welfare, dogs, dog behavior and training, and it's always, always a joy to talk to you. And also because I've been fighting this shock collar ban in the UK for over 20 years now and I, I I can't tell you how much champagne I'm going to be drinking in February if it actually goes through oh my gosh I'll, I don't drink any I don't drink alcohol but I will drink I will I'll have a whiskey or something <laughs> <laughs> totally worth it thank you so much thank you so much Carolyn and I hope you enjoyed the podcast today and please doesn't matter where you live contact the minister tell him thank you but let's make sure that that ban does go ahead in february 2024 and uh yes guys it's been a real honor and thank you so much for listening and i'll see you again thanks for tuning in to victoria stillwell's positively podcast for victoria's online dog training courses more information and helpful dog training tips visit her official website at Positively.com. Become a professional dog trainer with the Victoria Stillwell Academy at VSDogTrainingAcademy.com. Get connected on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media as Victoria Stillwell, and follow her on Twitter at Victoria S. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps you and your dog live your best life together. Positively. Positively.